So it's very rare to find accounting firms, even service providers, think about sales and marketing more as a science, right? Algorithms, formulas, conversions. We talk a lot about our core tech stack here at Growth Lab, and we always start with HubSpot, obviously Ignition, and then Carbon on the back end. For sure. But I think this all comes down to, Dan, like two, uh, like two things you just said. Like, firms don't usually start with like thinking about marketing in a formulaic way in an algorithmic way because usually any small business starts with your own personal network right then it then it kind of grows from there customer referrals etc especially in the bookkeeping accounting space but i think too like the reason we have hubspot as part of our core tech stack is because we know like listen to us like a year and a half ago in the middle of covid like what is the core competency of any service-based business well it's HubSpot or some other CRM, but it's important to have that at the front end because, you know, it, who's got time to be gathering this information and organizing it and staying on top of it? Digital marketing, inbound marketing, and RevOps has become a core competency of our company, especially because you and I and Corey and then John and Allison, you know, this is a big chunk of our job. So today we're actually going to be talking about our journey, but more recently, the HubSpot Inbound Conference that Allison and John attended uh, last week. So we got Allison and John with us. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, good. So we just went over this um, in uh, one of our uh, RevOps and marketing meetings. And, you know, John is coming at this more through the lens of uh, RevOps uh, generating leads. Uh, obviously, John has been with us for probably about three and a half years now, and he was... Um, you know, here from the beginning when we even started just thinking about SEO and inbound. And of course, Allison, who's our inbound marketing manager, she kind of makes this all happen. And over the last, I'd say, 12 months, we've seen a big jump in uh, SEO inbound conversions. And, you know, we have, you know, we knew three, four years ago, digital marketing needed to be a core competency of the business, not just what we do, not just accounting. Um, and, Allison and John have really helped us peel back the onion on that and you know dive into what is working, what are the keywords, what are the pages, what are the topics that we need to double down on, whether that's this quarter, this year, to make sure that we keep moving in the right direction. So we asked Allison and John to join us on this uh, podcast because we wanted to talk about their experience at HubSpot Inbound. I mean, it, it is rare, it is probably like, crazy to see an accounting firm send uh, two of their sales and marketing uh, team members to HubSpot inbound. We started reviewing some of the learnings and I'm going to start with Allison. And so Allison, we, we talk about distribution, right? Um, we create the content. We don't just create the content, Allison, right? We try to be as methodical as possible, right? We've got our list of keywords, and those keywords are important to our uh, potential customer base. And then we try to uh, create content that are uh, that have those keywords as anchors. And then ultimately, you take that content and you distribute it through uh, social media, LinkedIn especially. We also spend a lot of time on how Google thinks about our website. So I'd like to kind of talk to you a little bit about, well, I'd like you to bring to the table some of the tools that you learned while at HubSpot. Um, and one of those is AudioSense. So can you give us like the 30 second download on AudioSense? What they talked about was taking 
a group of people's Twitters and the URLs, whether it's competitors or people in your industry, and you can upload it to that website. And what it does is it'll combine a bunch of the different things that they're posting about, whether it's like specific topics or direct posts, and you can see exactly what those people are talking about. So it, it really helps you either kind of identify who the, what the topics are that are of interest in your space or the influencers that are active in your space. Yeah, what they're chatting about. That's Definitely. Cool. So you can either jump on the bandwagon and join the conversation or you can create content about what they're talking about. And that's probably ultimately we do that already, right? We don't use tools, but we're actively engaged with our audience, actively engaged with our customers mm -hmm. and with our team members. And it's sort of like it's a tool that helps you keep not just one finger on the pulse, but like 10 fingers on 10 or 20 pulses. So it, it takes a little bit of the burden of having to stay on top of things. I wonder if a tool like this kind of removes a little bit of the personal interpretation of what's happening. I don't know. I think I think so. And, you know, one of the things that we, as we were talking about audiences is, is uh, you know, we do feel like we know like a lot of the influencers in the, in the outsourced accounting space, especially in the finance as a service type of industry, not 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 the traditional audit tax business. Um, but we know we know a lot of the influencers, right? We've been on the podcast. We've we're, we talked to them, we text them, we we interact with them. But you know, the conversation was like, what about those influencers that we don't know about? Like, what about finding the next influencer? Or, you know, finding the other people that are talking about some of the edge keywords, right? If we know that, you know, here's a core set of keywords, but these over here, you know, there's there's 20% of the market that's talking about these and extending the influence of our content to that piece of the market and then opening up possibly a whole nother piece of the, uh, the industry. On another note, Allison, some of the things you also talked about was table of contents and blog formats. We spend a lot of time thinking about our blogs. Even uh, recently we said, okay, we should probably just kill half of the blogs that are not driving traffic, put them back into some whip inventory and rework them. Can you talk us talk to us a little bit about what you learned about like applying table of table of contents to our blogs and why is blog format so important? So when people are coming to you and they land on your blog based off of a set of keywords, they're looking for something specific. So you want to make it easy for them to find what they're looking for. And at least the way that we format our blogs and what's good for SEO is to have different headings. And usually those headings can be like a, a question or something big that someone's looking for. And so having on the side just a table of contents, which is just going to say the different sections of the blog, and those sections will be anchored to that table of contents. So they can just go and say, oh, I wanted to find out more information on this specific topic. I'm going to click here and it will scroll down to that point in your blog that's about that information. And then they can click anywhere else in the table of contents to go look at something else or go back to the top of the page, whatever it is that they want to do, rather than having to force them to scroll through the whole blog just to find what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Is it sort of like rep replacing H1, H2, H3 in, uh, in on the blogs? No, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's replacing it, but it's just another way for people to 
get to the H2 and H3 without having to scroll. Gotcha. I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's probably, probably, I'm sure it's smart um, coming from HubSpot conference, right? Uh, that's why we invest in it. But, um, you know, going back to like an earlier thing, you know, that is common across all of marketing now is you want to educate your market, right? You don't want to just like say, you know, free this, free that, or, you know, sign up for this. You want to educate your market because if you educate them, then they're going to come back to you when they actually have a need, right? Because they, they, they said, Oh, this, this firm, this organization, this person helped me understand X. So if I'm going to spend money, I want to spend money with, you know, this, this firm. So it helps them, it helps educate them faster, more, more directly. If you if you do that table of contents, that makes sense. Yeah. It's short and sweet. Now, obviously, Allison, like some of the stuff, you guys are picking up and learned um, much of it we're already doing. This isn't like typical digital marketing SEO stuff for beginners, right? Um, I mean, we're still big believers for our audience, especially, you know, if you are just getting started or, you know, you've been around for five years and you're like ready to hire that next person. You want to begin to scale, uh, maybe pull off a little bit on the whole networking scene you're still going to have to start off with content, right? And you're not going to have all the sophisticated tools. I mean, Allison, one of the one of the major tools you use is like SEMrush, right? To help us understand right. what our potential audience and our competitors you use Google search. Obviously, all this stuff is available to our peers and our friends, but it's a little like, yeah. Yeah, you won't expensive. jump right into that. I think, you know, one of the things the two of you, John and Allison, used for us earlier in our journey was, I don't even know what it was exactly. It was like an SEO checklist. It was like a hundred things you can do. Right. And we organized that into, here's what we're going to do in Q3. Here's what we're going to do in Q4. Here's what we're going to do in Q1. And we just kind of revisited that probably three, three times. And by the end of doing, going through that checklist three times, you know, we knew more, we were dove into tools. It was a good place to start. So if anybody's interested in that, reach out to uh, Allison. And so, Allison, you talk about clear, persuasive, engaging, actionable. Like those, that, I think that is like four uh, terms that really encapsulates how people should go about building content. John, I'd like to kind of bring you in on this uh, conversation because, you know, three and a half years ago, you were interning here, and that was probably somewhere in the I don't know, maybe the second inning, maybe third inning of what was initially our unintentional marketing journey. How have we changed in the last three and a half years? And obviously, Allison joined us probably a year after you uh, after you were around. It's, it's funny because I think when I first came on, the content was not even all accounting specific, right? Like we were trying to stay up to date on things that were happening in the economy and kind of like pushing that stuff out. Right. So, I mean, the number one thing we did was start creating content that promoted our services, really pushed our services. Um, and then, you know, from there with Allison kind of taking over the marketing side, like all the keyword research that's been going into every piece of content that we have with blogs, for example, um, all these blogs are informed by data. Like where I was telling somebody yesterday who we help with marketing that there's there shouldn't be any content being posted without prior research. Um, so yeah, just it doesn't take much. Yeah, no, it doesn't take much. And and it makes a world of difference. 
Yeah, you don't need to be dropping three, four hundred bucks on SEMrush or being like an hour or two a day in Google Search Console because in the beginning it is very like it's more intuition, right? That gut feeling. Oh, my small business customer, what's going through their head when they're looking for fix my books? So let's talk about that though a little bit more, like the, the yeah. research, like what, what goes in, like for, you know, we, we know what that looks like for us because we've got history, right? Like on the FP&A side, you know, you got two types of businesses. Those have been in business for like three, five years and have some history. I can build off of that. Or those that are just getting started and we got to create things de novo, right? We've got some history here. We know like what works for us, what doesn't work for us. Um, but like go back to that beginning, like to, and take that comment you just made, John, you know, no, no piece of content should be delivered, published without research, created, Cre created without research. Um, how do you do that research when you don't know what works for you? Do you go out and see what's working for competitors? Do you just try spitball and see what works? How do you, how do you go about that? Yeah. I mean, I would compare it first, first and foremost, like creating content while researching is like, taking a sales call, you know, taking a sales call without knowing who you're talking to. It's, it's going to be a lot more effective if you research the company before and you have your plan of attack going into the call. So, I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm what a, we do. Go I'm sorry, I interrupt you, but I'm a, I'm a founder, just, just broke off from a firm, didn't like the direction, thought I could do better myself. Um, I've had, 20 sales conversations and I've been in the market for five years. I know things, right? What should I, what should I do first? What, what's my first piece of content that I publish or should I spend the next three weeks researching? Yeah. I mean, first things first, I would get some type of tracker to look at your current state of SEO, see where you are, get a baseline of what keywords you're ranking for. If you're almost on the first page of Google, which is obviously what we wanna see, try to bump yourself up on that, capitalize on the content that you already have that's doing well. And from there, once you have a good baseline, start attacking mm -hmm. the lower stuff. Go look at competitors, see what they're ranking for. Try to bump them out, you know, try to- Yeah, not to put you on the spot, but what, what, what kind of tracker are we talking about here? How does, how does one go about like making that first step? Like, okay, I've got a website. I thought I'm, I thought I'm good. But now you say yeah. tracker, what, 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 what tools are out there? What should I use? Yeah, I mean, there's SEMrush, which is kind of expensive, but you can get the lowest tier, which is pretty sufficient for a baseline. There's uh, Neil Patel has a, a, um, a SEO version. tracker. It's called Uber Suggest, and you can get a Google plugin, and you can start typing in keywords um, on Google, and it literally has a a cost per click measure. It tells you what the volume is. It's super easy tool to use. And then you also can just go on the website, type your website in, and it'll run a whole audit on the website. It'll come up with what you're currently ranking for. It's pre pretty simple to just get that baseline and, mm -hmm. I and start seeing where Uber you're at. Suggest. I like it. It's simple. Although we don't pay for Uber Suggest, right, John and Allison? So there's like a limited amount of searches. Maybe it's 20 a day or something. Now, I want to go back to Allison, Steve, for just mm -hmm. a second. So we talk a lot. We, yes. Anybody who starts off, it doesn't matter what kind of business, but especially in the service-based business where 
the number one goal here in initially is to create street cred, online reputation. And, and content really helps elevate your online reputation without third-party interaction. In other words, like a customer going on to Google reviews or you know doing one of those things. And what we found seven, six years ago was that content helped us shrink the sales conversion cycle. But today, Allison, like that's not our problem. Today, we have, I don't know, 4,000 unique site visitors to our URL. But yet our inbound leads that are generated is probably somewhere around, I don't know, 50 to 80, depending on the month. Um, so that's a really low, and that's not really the final conversion, right? We always think about final conversion through the lens of John, uh, dollars and cents, right? Engagement agreements executed. But for Allison, it's like she's actually, or her domain here actually contributes quite a bit of leads, but actionable leads, like leads that actually convert. And I probably would say those leads, uh, convert at a, you know, have a higher conversion. Ultimately they're more valuable. But Allison, like one of our issues is getting a bigger chunk of those site visitors to actually give us their information, which we've talked about. And we're starting to strategize about this. We all have pop-ups, pop-ups everywhere, everywhere pops up. But we're talking about lead quizzes, right? How do we create some quizzes, some catchy like calculators uh, that put maybe a small business owner on a financial diet in two months, right? Eight weeks to slim down and tell the future. What are we thinking about there, Allison? I guess historically, we've seen a lot of great success in pop-ups and even just forms that are linked to a giveaway of some sort. We have evaluation cap template, business modeling template, and those things just have performed very well. So what we were thinking, a lead generation quiz this morning, we actually went and looked at it. And it's essentially a similar idea where they give away some seven-day mentoring program or 30-day, whatever it may be. And then it's a little quiz about your company or about whatever it is that you're trying to find out. And then at the end, you just put in your email or phone number and they'll get that seven-day thing. So it just makes it a little bit more interesting than just a general pop-up. Yeah, because it's not just a tool or deliverable that's, you know, the mentality of the user is that, oh, they're just giving me this PDF that anybody can access. They're just asking me to give them my email first, right? But in this case, like, you're actually giving them a little bit of a, I'll call it a curriculum, right? It, you know, for Neil Patel, it was a seven-week program. For us, it would be a three-month, two-month, three-month program for financial health, right? And so you're actually giving them something that's going to be customized to them. That's why you ask questions, aka the quiz, right? But again, it goes back to that you're educating the, the the user. And in this case, you're not just educating them necessarily. You're giving them a curriculum. Here's what you should do over the next two weeks, seven weeks, three months to achieve X. Now, we've tried uh, some tools, Allison, and they're actually still live on our website. We use uh, from Typeform. Uh, they have a, a product called Video Ask, and we actually have used Video Ask uh, to communicate with our internal team, to actually do uh, future employee uh, uh, interviews. And we've, we've kind of speckled them throughout our website, but we've never really been super successful. And actually, John started using them for uh, new MQLs to, that's uh, marketing qualified leads. As leads come in, 
we send them send them an automated email and John will talk about mm -hmm. that. And we embed this video asking there to try to get a little bit more information about who we're about to talk to and uh, when we schedule that meeting. But Allison, we've tried using video ask, which is like, it's got that video sequence and you can interact and ask questions. But people like click on, yes, I'm looking for bookkeeping or I'm looking for FPNA, but it kind of just goes away. They don't actually provide us with their information. So talk to us a little bit about what our plan is to take the video ask and maybe this quiz and kind of merging everything together. I think that the reason that people fill out the video ask and then they don't put in their information at the end is because we don't openly give away anything. And I think a lot of times people expect something or they're more likely to put their information in if they think they're getting something back. So I think that the lead quiz with giving something away to them that will be helpful to their business, something that will really benefit them, they're going to be more likely to do. And a lot of times with the video ask, it can go, it can link somewhere and then link back. And it's almost too many steps. But if you keep it very small and it's just easy for them to do one step to the next step, it keeps them in that cycle and they don't have to, it doesn't take too long where they just click out of it. So yeah. it's definitely nice to keep it small and give something to them that's valuable. So I think this this is probably a good kind of halfway point because I think we got a lot of pushback. You can't like put your whole website into this like framework, right? But we can at least put, you know, a pop-up or a, if the, if the lead wants to go down this path, they can go down this path and get something valuable for themselves. So Allison, I want to kind of jump into some of the, um, which I'm sure was a big chunk of like the hot conversations at Inbound. It's the uh, distribution channels, aka the social media platforms and Google. I want to start with Google first because all the others, they're not obvious. All the others actually, they require, they require sort of consistent, constant management and not just by one person, but you, but it's got to be by the owners, right? And we're both guilty of this. We don't do it enough. Like we got time for this, right? But we have to make time for this. And also the team, bringing the team together to interact more online and then moreover, our customers, mm -hmm. our, our peers. But I want to talk about Google. And so, Allison, I'm kind of just reading off of your notes. Google, what matters? Well, Google actually has a freaking laundry list of what matters. I think, you know, the, <laughs> the, the thing here that kind of popped out to me is, is that nothing, no one thing matters, right? Back in the day, everybody could game Google by doing you one thing, maybe two things, but now your point is it all matters. Totally. So this was also Neil Patel. And basically what he said was you can't just say, oh, I'm going to focus on keywords and I'm going to put as many keywords into my website as I can and really focus on that. Keyword you stuffing. need to focus on, yeah, you need to focus on everything. So getting backlinks externally to your website, internally linking from blogs within your website to other pages in your website, keywords, search, search intent, all of it matters. And you need to focus on all of it in order to rank higher for Google. So that's how the algorithm works. Google isn't just going to say, you get a lot of traffic. So we're going to put you at number one. Your site also has to have a good load speed and technically the SEO stuff has to be there. So it's really focusing on all of that stuff in order to rank higher on Google. 
And one of the things that we talked about is like, it's, a, it's almost as if Google wants your website to mirror sort of a microcosm of the social media platform. It wants your website to stay updated. It wants your website and the content to be interacted with by others. It wants it to be a living sort of thing. And that is hard. You know, most of us, when we get started, and especially, you know, I'm speaking to our audience here, for many of us, when we create a website, we're thinking about the colors, the branding, the pictures, you know, some of the catchy words. But I don't think Google gives a shit about that stuff. It does, but it cares about it in totality. It, there's a sort of global impact. There are these like 10 factors that drive it and not one in isolation is going to move the needle. I do want to jump to some of these other topics because LinkedIn, Allison, LinkedIn is important to us. And I actually think like we're at almost at like 2000 followers or maybe 1900, which for a company our size is quite impressive. And obviously, Allison, we track how we're doing uh, against our peers in terms of LinkedIn engagement. We watch that. We think it's important. And it, and we believe it's important because it does help legitimize us during the sales conversion cycle. Mm -hmm. It's not about like who's stronger, who's better, right? It's about, you know, that engagement is helping us solidify our lead gen machine. What are some tips and tricks that you learned so I would say in terms of LinkedIn, the number one thing that I took away from it is that the algorithm for LinkedIn tends to focus highly on comments more than anything. So that's the big number to focus on. You can get likes, but the comments really are what draw the attraction and push your post up. And it's not just any comment. It's not just commenting like, oh, hey, this is nice, but actually creating conversation through your comments and having people add insight to mm -hmm. everything. And it's also like video, which is very common for most of the algorithms on the social pages, but the comments and having, you know, your employees comment and people within your industry comment is very helpful to push your content up in the algorithm. One of the other things you mentioned uh, as we're kind of debriefing it was, you know, it really helps when you put up content and it's long enough that it has that see more button, right? And people right. click on that see more button, right? That really kind of bumps things up, things up because the user is telling LinkedIn, I like this content, I want to read more of this content, and I'm willing to spend my time and click to read more of that content. And so like punchy text, even if you're not, like one of the things you said was don't put links in there because they're not just looking right. for links to promote something else. They want they want users to stay on LinkedIn, so they want you to read. So even like text, posts, anything that has like that punchy first line that, that really, and Steve Newland on our team does like, fantastic job at this right and the other thing was employee uh employees activity it actually impacts the engagement of your company's posts helps your brand that is something like that i've noticed that we sometimes lack in and i hope it's not because everybody's just like so heads down for 40 hours a week but it is something we have tried come up with different gamification strategies so allison talk to us a little bit about how you see our team let's just talk from our own experience how do we get our team members to engage more with our content 
I think one way is incorporating them in the content. A lot of times I try to put out like employee spotlights or employee videos and they engage better with that when it's, you know, their own information about themselves and they want to promote themselves. So I think that's one way to do it. Also in the past, we've done different kind of contests, like whoever comments on five posts this week or engages with this you'll get something and it's just kind of it makes them want to engage more ultimately i try to send out a slack message whenever we have like a big post not for every post because that would be too much but every time there's something big that we're pushing i try to send out a slack to everyone to ask them to either comment or engage in some way with it that way it just helps out a little bit better yeah. And so I remember when we're going to switch topics here to YouTube, though, but I remember some of our first videos. I remember us actually hiring a photographer at one point to take some pictures. And we said, well, this doesn't really work. And then uh, we started taking some videos and shoots with our phones. And then John joined us. And I remember our first like videos that we started posting on our website and posting on social media. And we started dabbling with YouTube, John, probably right around the time you joined. And then um, Allison kind of took the bull by the horns on that one. How can our audience leverage YouTube? In the beginning, it was, you know, it was kind of the same thing. It wasn't super targeted. We were kind of just trying to push content. Um, but as things have progressed, like we now have YouTube videos for blogs. Like if you don't want to read a two page blog, go watch the YouTube video. It's like 10, 15 minutes. Um, but it's, it's kind of building that web of interconnected content that really does help in the sales process. Um, at least I know that I give Allison feedback. She, you know, with that and the, the research that she does on the SEO side, like she's creating content that I can use in the sales process that actually genuinely shows people one, like who we are, because a lot of accounting firms are like, you never see who you're working with. Like it's, it's like no. perceived to be this SaaS, like cool new tech platform that you have no idea who your actual team is. Um, so one, like you get to see who your team is Two, They're talking about something that adds value to, you know, your daily life as a small business owner. And three, it's, it's, you know, we, we've done the research, so we know it hits on your pain points. So yeah. with all of those things, it's, it's kind of that interconnected circle of like, all of this content is being used for different places. Like these YouTube videos are being used in sales collateral. They're being used to, as almost case studies, as about who we are, you know, we are knowledgeable. We're not just some random people that you've never heard of that emailed you. It's a great point. Like, where do you where do you put your, where do you start with your first video? Right. That's another way of looking at this. Right. Well, one way is if you already have a blog, just almost read your blog in a video. Put that up there. Uh, I remember our start is like in the podcasting video like journey. Right. It wasn't easy to get out there and do your first do your first podcast, do your first video, right? You know, you're, you're looking at yourself on the screen, you're listening to yourself and like, you're like, that dude sounds weird. <laughs> There's like scientific reasons about why we sound weird when we're listening to through a speaker versus our, our own heads. Yeah, but, it was, it was but hard. It first. was hard, but just, just get out there and do it. Just do it. 
I remember that when we officially kind of passed the baton on the YouTube um, oversight, we were probably at 30, 25, 30, 35 subscribers. And I mean, it, it's obviously up like tenfold since then in the last two years. What's some of the secret sauce you think, Allison, that has helped? I know John just mentioned a good a good point, which is like this interconnected web of content. I think one way to look at it is that Google owns YouTube and it's kind of a similar way when you're looking for something on YouTube. It's keywords, what you're looking for. And even when people Google search, now YouTube videos come up. So you want to implement some of that keyword research that you're doing on your website and put it into the YouTube videos as well. That way those come up. And one thing which John had mentioned when we were ranking high for some of our blogs, we were like, well, why don't we make a YouTube video on this, post it on YouTube, embed it in the blog. And then also when it's on YouTube, we can put the link back to the blog. So everything's connected, which was another one of those things that it said for Google to focus on is the internal linking, external linking. So it's kind of adding those things. So you have the keywords, the linking, so you're doing everything. And you already know that people want that content because they're reading the blog, but now you're just adding a visual form of it. So we're taking this to the next level. So the next few things are for YouTube, what can we do to bump up our YouTube videos? Because now we're thinking about SEO, not just from like blogs and websites, but now we're managing another, another thing, which is the YouTube channel. Not to mention the LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok for those of you that do that. But managing the YouTube channel is its own beast, right? And its right. own strategy. What are some of the strategies? So for, for those of us, because we have a few peers who are totally killing it on YouTube right now. A thousand, a thousand views in the first 24 hours, right? Jason Stance is a good example. What can companies like ours that, you know, we're not looking to promote our YouTube videos, to just teach other accountants or like share just experiences. Like we're also using our YouTube channel to acquire new leads, right? It's part of our lead gen machine. What can companies like ours do to bump those videos up? Ultimately for the YouTube algorithm, you wanna get as many views in the first 24 hours of posting your video and that will help bump it up. But you don't just want any views, like you don't want to send it to your whole company and say, hey, click on this video. You want them to actually watch it. You want the people who are clicking on the video to stay on for at least half of the duration. That way, the algorithm of YouTube is like, hey, these people clicked on this and this is actually what they wanted to see. Let's keep recommending it to similar people and push it out. And also for YouTube videos, there's a lot of things that you can do like putting links in the description that will take them to a landing page on your website that will have a promotion for them. Or you can do at the end of it, you can add like a subscribe button and then also a video that you can recommend or it'll recommend like a video similar to what they just watched. So that's a good way to help keep people on your page and also a way to bring them to your website because ultimately you do want to get their information right. in some way. And so all of this work... All of these things we just talked about, John, is for what? Why do we do all of these things on the marketing side? I mean, it, 
ultimately helps support sales because a, a big part of our our strategy here is cold emailing. Um, and it takes a lot to to nurture people, most people, I should say, into basically trusting us. I mean, we are at the end of the day, like going in and handling your financials. It's all about reputation, so we're going right? From, we're going from not knowing you to jumping in and fully managing your financial value stream. So, so when you ask, the, can I content, get a, can I get access to your QuickBooks or to your Zero? Like nine out of ten times, people would say, "Are you crazy? No, I need an NDA." But today, John, but, it's like ten percent. Yeah, and even even for stuff like that, like we put together a video where Dan walks you through how to give access. And that's just like, it, it, maybe it's subconscious, maybe it's not, but you still get to see the one of the founders of the company be like, hey, here's how you do it. It's not just like this sketchy email coming from somebody you don't know asking for access <laughs> so that they can quote you. It's, it's the whole process from content creation to close is meant to be scalable, but personal. Right. And we always talk about automation with relation, right? It's got to be personal. You don't have to touch everything, right? It's got to be one to many. We know that, but it's got to be one to many, but still it's got to be unfiltered. It's, you still have to have that persona, the relationship yeah, and it starts people business. Like even on the email side, like not to give away some secret sauce, but don't blast out a Mailchimp thing, being like, you know, uh, you know, you got to find a service that sends it out from your email servers, right? Because no, nothing is more feels more impersonal than, like, I'm not busting on Mailchimp, but any like newsletter platform, whether it's HubSpot or Mailchimp or you, you name it, um, that's just like a, a a game stopper for any like any sales right. related like. Come on, like a subject email. line ninety nine ninety nine. We'll get your books done. Like that shit doesn't work. You got to that first email. And so John, John actually uh, started talking about um, cold email campaigns. So outbound sales. So we're not just an inbound shop. We do focus a lot on outbound. So John, you were also at inbound last week and you talk about four things, five things you can do to prepare for the next wave of sales leaders, sales process optimization. So number one, you talk about sales playbook, then you go on to sales cookbook. So you got a playbook, you got a cookbook, and then better data insights, okay? And then lastly, intent. I'm actually excited about the intent because I think it's something that young sales professionals don't do enough of because of all the damn automation. So when I was in, in my 20s and my first job out of college was sales, it was always about intent, but it, it was so hard back then. I mean, we barely had like email and I didn't know if you read my email, you know, unless you responded to me. Yeah, I had to read receipts, but you know, I don't know, maybe like two years later, everybody started blocking those damn read receipts. So I that intent was hard. And it was had to be like at conferences, you know, breaking bread that you could feel the intent. Today, intent is all around us. The data is there. You know, inbound is so powerful, right? That, uh, you know, intent, um, you know, we've got intent marketing and intent like insight. Like now you can actually like see what people are like looking for and like target them based on whether they're whether they're in the market for your services. But I think where you're going, Dan, is like to, in order to get intent 20 years ago, you had to talk to people. 
You had to talk right. to people. You had to talk to people and they, nope, no, thank you. Hang up, right? Hang up, hang up, hang up. Oh yeah, I've been thinking about that. Okay, great. That's intent, right? And then you can build that, you know, but then you're already talking to them. You can build that relationship. Um, so often now there's, there are so many automations or tools that we can already get predefined lists or people that are looking for these services that you don't almost need that. And it's a skill set that, you know, as, as we're, you know, nurturing sales people, it's a skill set that like, just kind of like falls by the way. So just pick up the damn phone. <laughs> so let's, so John, let's talk about the sales playbook and the sales cookbook. The sales playbook was more overarching, right? So that's like, that's like your whole sales process. Um, what I thought was most interesting about that was on kind of on the hiring side, right? They talked about interview questions and interview questions being super important, right? Like you kind of, as you go through hiring people and as you get more experienced in it, you know, you start to develop interview questions. You start to develop interview questions that result in successful hires. So it's the same thing as, as the content side, you know, the content's bringing in people, but when you're interviewing people for sales positions, you have to be looking at the quote unquote data of what questions you used to hire this person and replicate it. And so the, the cookbook, you talk about pre-call planner. I mean, these seem very obvious, right? But right, they're right. not. So the cookbook is all about planning for the you know pre-call planning and then clear future commitment. Like don't leave a sales meeting without next steps. Like to me, that's second nature. But how many times do people leave sales calls and sort of leave it open-ended? By the time right. you are having a sales call with a lead, that lead has gone through the inbound uh, wheel, right? Mm -hmm. The flywheel. And it has gone through multiple iterations or multiple touch points of content that to have that opportunity to actually have a conversation with a lead, why would you waste all of that effort and money and yeah, and there's all and I, this. I mean, the sales calls today versus like three years ago. Like you get to the you cut to the chase a lot faster, or you know, or at least I do, right? Because you know you don't have to build rapport as much because the process has built rapport with the company, and then I'm just jumping in to be the face and the voice of that company, and I and the customer want to get to like, okay, what are what are what are, what can we what can you do for me uh, faster, right? Uh, there's still all that, like that, some, some of that small talk up front, but right. you get to that point because they've been through the, through the, through the process. And I think, you know, another thing that you, you brought up, John, which, you know, you've been preaching for, for, for years is, is have that like quote unquote contract with the, the customer in that meeting, whether it's like, here's the agenda or, Hey, you know, here's my, here's my, my goal here is X, you know, have that contract with the customer, like up front at the beginning of the meeting, um, you know, hey, this is going to be even for customers. Hey, this meeting is going to be billable, you know, outside of scope, like so that you, you're setting expectations, that contract right at the beginning. I mean, the most important part is staying on topic, right? Here's here's the agenda. Here's my three key points that I want to get through in this call. And here are the next steps. But also, you know, stressing the importance of like, what are your top three pain points that you want to get out of this? Like, why are we having this call? You know, nobody wants to sit there and listen to a sales pitch tailored around what I think you want to hear. Everybody Bring wants it back to, hear, to the customer. Yeah, it's it's simple. It's it, it a lot of people overcomplicate it. But what do you actually want to hear about? And here's how we can help. 
So we talk a lot about if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? Um, right. That applies to sales. You know, sales has always been a little bit more of a fluid function, you know, rubbing elbows, relationship-based, the Rolodex. It's all who you know. But today in 2022, sales is a machine. It has to be a machine, especially when you have when you're spending marketing dollars and especially when marketing and sales are aligned, sales is a machine. So John, let's talk a little bit about data, data insights for planning and for optimization. These are some of the, some of the ones you wrote down here are things that we're already tracking. So right. none of this should have been new to you coming out of inbound. Yeah. I mean, nothing's new. We, we look at things like, uh, you know, how many, how many new MQLs, marketing qualified leads were entered into the pipeline in the past seven days? And what does it look like compared to the, the seven days before that? Um, we're looking at things like, how long does it take from the initial sales meeting or the initial warm email, the initial yes, till they close? Um, how obviously, how big is the deal? What, how, how much time is it worth spending on them to try to get them to close? I mean, if it's a $15,000 a month deal, that's worth all the time in the world. But if it's a 500 a month deal, it's not, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. One but, of the things I love to look at because I'm always trying to figure out like, is this deal flow sustainable? It's okay. By month, show me how many deals were created each month. And then for those deals that were created and closed, how long did it take? For me, that always shows like velocity, magnitude, right? Momentum. Mm -hmm. and, and in sales, sales is all about momentum, right? The more momentum, the more effort, you know, resources you're pushing, it, you're trying to get these deals. And the other thing, John, we talk about a lot here is it's just as important to push deals through the pipeline as it is to kick them out. Because the longer these deals are in the pipeline, the more time and effort resources that the companies and individuals are putting towards those deals. That's so like working, get them out of the pipeline. It's like working capital. You know, all, all accountants, bookkeepers understand working capital. The more time you keep someone in there, if they're not a good fit, the more working capital you're putting into that lead. And if you know it's not going to be a good fit, kick it out fast. Yeah, working capital is the is the uh, silent killer in businesses, right? So let's talk about intent here, John. What is intent yeah. in the sales process? I mean, intent is is taking the hints from from prospective clients and capitalizing on that. So you can see intent in different stages of the pipeline, right? So you can see intent from the prospecting stage where there are tools to see like, hey, this this company Googled outsourced accounting. You can see intent when you email people through email opens, email clicks, email clicks on your documents through HubSpot. You can see That's intent a good one. through how many Clicking times videos were viewed when we when we send over quotes. How many times they visit the website. Engagement you know, agreements. Right? I sent an right. email two weeks ago. They just they they opened it five times, then they, they were silent for two weeks. Then they clicked on a link again and actually went to my website and they hung out on the website for two minutes and they they left the website after they watched the video about fill in the blank. Like that's amazing, right? 
Yeah, and being able to jump back in at the right time is is huge. It's it's knowing when people are doing something and jumping in when you should be jumping in instead of just kind of shooting in the dark. We've kind of covered a lot here today. I was very I was actually very excited to have Allison and John go to HubSpot Inbound 2022. I do think that there's a lot of learnings. Um, sometimes it's not even like the new learnings. It's taking what we're already doing and elevating it, mm-hmm. taking it, you know, stepping it up a notch. I think more of our peers should consider sending their marketing teams to uh, conferences like Inbound. This is an this is an exciting part of the service based business. Uh, for the last 100, 200 years, like human capital, professional services businesses has always been done on a handshake. Um, and for those of us and our peers that want to focus more on customer enchantment, customer delivery, HR, people, sales doesn't have to be hand-to-hand combat. It doesn't have to be a one-to-one uh, relationship any longer. And if you want to scale, it can't be. It can't, it can't be. be a hand-to-hand combat because that can build that can build a business. It can build a great business. But if you want to scale and really grow, you need to find the right secret sauce, the right recipe, uh, cookbook to make that sales and rev ops process. Good guys. I appreciate it. This was fun. And um, thank you for your time. Thank you guys. Anytime. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thanks everyone. Till next time. Bye.